Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Tales from Travellers podcast. I'm your host Greg, and I'm here to find some incredible stories about seeing the world, escaping comfort zones, hearing some tips and tricks about travelling and exploration from those who have or are continuously travelling the world. So whether that be a week, month, year or decade, I'm aiming to find out more about the obstacles that they overcame, the prep work that goes into planning such a trip, what it's like discovering new cultures and making new friends that could last a lifetime, whilst also hearing about the job that feeds the journey or the journey that feeds the job. And we're also looking to find out what makes someone want to step out into the great wide open. So let's start another episode of Tales from Travellers. So today I'm joined by a freelance creative guru and here to discuss the joys of working, experiencing and living abroad while also discussing where just because you've moved somewhere doesn't mean you don't have a passion for another country. So Jess, first things first, the most important question, could you tell us whereabouts you are in the world right now? Yes, yeah, so I'm living in Limoges in France. It's... Um... I'd say it's described as the central southwest. So a little bit down and left from the center of France. Um, it's um, a not too big city. And um, yeah, I've ended up here. It's, I'm enjoying it. How long have you been out there now? It will be um, two years I've been in France now. 1st of September 2021 is when I first came over. Oh, wow. And... Obviously, as I mentioned in my in my wonderful intro to you, you are a freelance creative, you've got a background in design, but pr- primarily you're an illustrator. Yes, mm. yeah, illustration's what I primarily focus on. And after you say that's primarily what you focus on, is there anything else that you dabble on while you're out there, or are you very much in the freelance lifestyle? Yeah, it's, it is mostly freelance, and sticking to illustration, drawing, that kind of um, area of expertise... Though I have picked up, you know, bits of um, design and animation as well. A lot of people, myself included, kind of grow up with this idea of France being this this culture, this go-to, this dream of going somewhere, especially when you are creative, with no matter what creative sector you might be in. Was that part of the reason for a move to somewhere like France because of your background being a creative? Or was there something else that pulled you towards France? Yeah, um, I didn't really choose France whatsoever. <laughs> I kind of ended up there. So what it was is my parents chose France. They, they were the kind of um, people who are always watching programs like A Place in the Sun and those sorts of uh, shows where you've got British couples looking for their home abroad. And they, they'd always um, had the idea if we're going to move to France, Spain, Italy, one of those. And... Um, in 20 perhaps the end of 2018 they were looking they were going to France and doing property viewings and um, yeah they came across their dream house and they moved there in 2019 Um, and I remained in the UK living um, with a friend and when our lease was um, soon to end I was sort of thinking "Eh, I don't really fancy renewing this and I kind of miss my family because of course it had been locked down as well so I hadn't been able to visit them as frequently as I might have wished so I I had a talk with my mum she was like oh you know come stay with us for a um, longer period of time than you would just for a little holiday so um, I applied for a six months visa and um, yeah drove on uh, over to that place in France. 
And <laughs> with that short trip, did that turn into an immediate kind of infatuation with France? Or again, was that a slow build deciding to move there? Well, what it was is that, yeah, while I was staying with my parents, I was then um, trying um, online dating because, I don't know, I was just bored and wanted to meet some people. And that's when I met my boyfriend and um, I liked him enough to stay in the country. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've remained in France for um, for love and for family, really, because also where I was in the UK, all the friends I'd made, um, they're all dotted about the country now and in other countries and not living together. So I found myself, you know, I wasn't too upset to move. It wasn't like I was leaving lots and lots of people because I wasn't frequently seeing them anyway. Yeah. And so, so obviously staying there for love, for family and per perfectly having that kind of career path that allows you to, to dabble into yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah, because by then I was a freelance illustrator. I didn't have to worry too hard about, um, finding work in the other country because I could still remain having my um, British clients and yeah even delve into clients in France and around the world um, but yeah obviously I, I do really enjoy the culture in France I do find um, the life is more relaxing here and um, the weather obviously is better yeah. than in the UK it definitely does have its, have its positives so it's yeah, definitely one or two one yes. Two, I mean, I, I I just equate England to living in someone's armpit for this summer. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So, well, hey, you know, I I say it how it is. <laughs> so, as you mentioned, moving in with families your first part. Now, the the thing that's quite interesting is when a lot of people decide to take a venture abroad, whether that be for a short term or potentially long term, like what you're doing. There's always that sense of worry about not being able to, to to fit in to settle in and just find your mm -hmm. footing would you say that your living arrangement with your parents and that short-term um kind of stay that holiday for you does that help you help influence more of your decision to stay and as as well did it also help you get used to that culture kind of shock i mean was there culture shock in france yeah there, there has definitely been culture shock and it is definitely you know, you just don't know the way things work as you would in the country you're from, obviously. And you just come across things like, why why do they do it like that? You know, that's that doesn't feel right. It's much better in the UK. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was nice to be able to come and my parents had already gone through the struggle of working things out. <laughs> so when I didn't know how to do something, I'd just go to them and go, oh, help. <laughs> I mean, I suppose before we go any further, the real question is, um, do, do you, did you speak French before moving out there? Or was that kind of the comfort of having parents who potentially knew French? Help? So, yeah, I'd studied at a GCSE level at school. Um, so I had, um, you know, a foundation in it. But I have to admit what you're taught at school isn't really real conversational French it's you know just to pass exams really but no it's good to have all the grammatical foundation there um when it comes to my parents my mum studies French and is trying her best uh, my dad nothing no not whatsoever he, he's that stereotype of a British expat who's just you know happy to stay in his own bubble of expat community and not venture out much and then 
he's the one getting frustrated when French people don't speak English and it's like, come on, Dad, you can't expect that. So we don't have high hopes for him, really. He's he's an old fart and he's going to remain that way. <laughs> oh, wonderful. It's, it's the classic holiday maker from, from England, isn't it? It is, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. Maybe he'll adapt. Maybe. Um, <laughs> and one thing um, I'd like to dive into a bit more later on in, in this, this chat, this interview, is you obviously have a background in speaking Japanese, something that a lot of people get extremely jealous about because it's such a unique language to learn for a Westerner in particular. Mm. Um, definitely know a lot more than me, in a, a lot more than anyone else I, I know. But would you say learning quite a difficult language for a Westerner has helped you pick up French in a way, or do you think they're so completely different languages it hasn't helped you that much in picking up French? Yeah, I'd say they are quite different. And personally, I think the structure of Japanese is easier than French. Um, Japanese has a lot less um, irregulars. You know, the rules, they stick to them Mm. and is pretty consistent. And even just the pronunciation, you know, that you learn the vowels and then those are the sounds for everything. You don't have to struggle too hard. So, yeah, for me, when it comes to French, I, I do struggle quite a bit, especially with listening for French because all the words are blended and um, it's hard to make out the individual words when I listen to a French person speaking. I'm definitely, I'm slowly improving, but my rate of learning is quite slow, <laughs> to say the least. Are you, are you a fan of Duolingo or are you very much a person trying to get yourself out into the French cityscape and just trying to learn it from, from diving in? Yeah, when I, when I first moved over and was living with my parents, I picked up Duolingo and I still do it just to keep my uh, streak number high. <laughs> you know, it's that commitment now. But um, I've kind of gotten to the point where it's not really helping me. It keeps reverting back to really simple stuff. Um, yeah, I've... I've um, I visited a new teacher last week, so hopefully that will be a really good working relationship and I'll improve that way. But when it comes to yeah, going out in the city and just taking in things firsthand, I found that my confidence has really held me back and my just general anxieties about speaking French has really prevented me from improving all that much. I, I just find myself, once I'm thrust into a situation where I'm listening and or speaking, I, I freeze up, I panic, I, the, the words, all my knowledge just is gone. <laughs> and it's so, it's so frustrating because I, if I was um, reading or writing something, you kind of do that at a more relaxed, slower pace. And I find I'm pretty confident in those situations. But yeah, interactions with people in French is uh, yeah, a tricky one for me. <laughs> I've, I've learned all the like kind of filler noises now. So I look like I know what's going on. I'm just, I just go, yeah, where, where, mm-hmm, where, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cu- coming from England as well, filler noises is almost something that we you know excel in as well. Cause there's so many stutters in for English people now. <laughs> you probably just, ha- you know, you feel more at home when you're doing them. Hmm. Um, with, with with those as well, and again, I'm just going to keep referring it to Japan. Obviously, you've been there several times. I've been there mm. a couple of times. And the, the thing you find as well, and on all the websites and tour books, they always say in Japan, you know, they will respect you for trying to speak Japanese to them. But a lot of the time, they're just as excited to practice their English. 
Um, mm. I, I know probably not the same with France, but how do you find, as you mentioned, you get a bit anxious speaking French in public with um, the, within the community, but how mm. are they with helping you along with it? Do they just kind of like give you the, the blank stare of, come on, spit it out, or they try and help <laughs> you fill in the blanks here and there? Yeah, um, the city I'm living in, unfortunately, not many people speak English. It's not like um, Paris at all. So, yeah, it's surprisingly a lot of people, they they couldn't assist me in trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. Thankfully, uh, my boyfriend and his family, they speak English really well. But um, a lot of the time when you're in a um, setting in like a department store or something, you're a bit uh, stuck if you don't know what it is you want to say. Um, though I've noticed that, you know, a lot of people, um, like, uh, I'd say millennial age and younger, they all speak English. I've found a lot of people of that generation do, but older, not so much. Um, so I've been in a few situations where, yeah, it's, it's, it's been tricky. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did have an occasion in a tea shop where the server could speak English. And as soon as I said, um, you know, a ta- table for two, they were, they spoke English to me. Oh. I was like, and they were like, I, I speak English. Just it's it's fine. Don't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You have got a new favorite customer. That's why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it is depending on the individual. But, yeah, surprising amount of people don't speak English where I'm at. Is there is there much of a kind of English like expat community in the town that you're in, or is, do you find a lot of expats more central Paris way? Um, where my parents are, they're um, more um, east to me in the countryside, and there's a big expat community there. There's um, a bit of a stereotype of um, expats, uh, mostly British and Dutch, and they'll move and um, they'll buy. Um, own a gîte business so gîtes are the little french cottages that people will rent out um you know through booking.com or airbnb kind of thing and yeah there's this uh, persona of the expats that have their little um gîte business and so there, yeah there is a big community there my parents have a lot of uh, english-speaking friends um yeah mostly uh british and dutch and um yeah so a lot there where i am um not so much. I've met a few people um, who are working at a, um engineering um, company doing an internship in English. So they come to study and do this internship and then they're shocked to find the actual expanded city don't speak English. Oh. So they get a bit stuck. <laughs> but yeah, we kind of gravitated towards each other. Um, but no, I need, I need to probably look into it online more but what I found in France is there's a lot less um, online communities Um, you can't just google something and find it as easily a lot of things are just not online Mm. in France everything is still paper-based so yeah I need I need to look into that because a lot of the things I find are just um, French only when it comes to finding other people to hang out with and whatnot and but you know I could attend them and then you know it, it would force me to yeah, uh, communicate in French I mean I suppose that, that's always one of those things I, I think that's the first step I know I, I'm the same when going forward it's getting out of your comfort zone isn't it mm-hmm. and I think that's almost comes with the way of I wouldn't say being like English but I think it's just with 
English as a language being so wide, widely spoken across the world, you you kind of, I don't know, for, for some people, I know it's happened to me a few times, ignorantly enough, you tend to think there'll be more, much more of an English community and English speaking side of mm. it everywhere and almost going out of our way in another country just becomes too much work. I've been guilty of that personally, but the great thing is you, you end up, once you do indulge in these other little hubs of local community environments, you do tend to find a few people who will just go out their way to try and help you. I mean, I had one person when I, when I was, when I'd been abroad and they do kind of come over cause you kind of look like a lost puppy just sat there <laughs> yes. and like, we'll, we'll try. And then it becomes a wonderful back and forth between the two of you. Mm. And I, I suppose this comes on to my next point. You, you mentioned you have a couple of British clients and a few kind of clients, I suppose, over in France and Europe. I mean, how have you found, as, especially as a freelancer, how have you found maintaining business and networking relationships with, say, the UK and English clients whilst also potentially growing further in France? Or are you still focusing on the English business? Yeah, I'm just getting whatever I can get, honestly. Um, Yeah, work has been a bit quiet, I think. There was a bit of a boom in lockdown, and since then, stuff's trickled out. Um, You know, I mostly focus on English-speaking businesses and companies. Um, I have started recently contacting, like, French magazines for editorial illustration. Um, Haven't received anything back yet, but it is predominantly just... um, reaching out to um, companies that present themselves in English. Um, I found, you know, everything's online now. It doesn't um, particularly matter to them what country I'm in. Um, When I first moved, I was quite concerned with um, would um, potential clients be put off having to pay me in euros now instead of British pounds. But I've since learned that it makes little difference to them. It's it's not a thing they care about whatsoever. yeah, I mean, I recently worked with an Australian client and, you know, obviously a bit of an annoying time difference. I'll receive, they'll email me at 6am and I'll pick it up a few hours later, but, you know, so be it. It's, um, it's It still runs smoothly, thankfully. I suppose it's your main tool for finding these businesses. Are you just, again, is it just good old Google or have you found yourself relying on something a bit more like LinkedIn? I mean, what advice would you give to yeah. a freelancer if they were moving out to somewhere in Europe but from England? Yeah, it is just um, discovering um, ideal companies you'd want to work with online, whether that's finding them through social media, even just like Instagram, or if it's um, yeah, through more professional means like LinkedIn. It is um, simply just um, putting yourself out there and pitching to them. Um, for example, yeah, if there's a magazine you like, you, you research the contact details for the art director and say, hey, I'm an illustrator, keep me in mind for, you know, if you think my uh, work would suit your magazine. Um, reaching out to um, design agencies if they, you know, hire out um, external freelancers for jobs. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been tricky. I'm in a period at the moment where it is a lot of reaching out um not much has been coming in so i've been having to yeah go through that process and it's pretty frustrating because a good 80 percent of the time you don't hear back but then that's the thing it, they, they might not necessarily answer your email but they'll put it in like a side folder and then maybe in six months they'll go aha this this will be perfect so yeah it's, it's the freelance illustrating um career at the beginning is 
yeah pretty oh, frustrating yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it is but um yeah and I, I perhaps i'll look into some agency representation as well so then there'll be you know people whose jobs are to do that kind of thing and they're yeah. good at that and they know your what you're worth and whatnot because yeah it's tricky starting out because obviously you always undersell yourself as well because you're scared of asking for big sums of uh, money for fees for projects did you find it more difficult because you were at the same time settling into a new country and place to live or yeah i do i do look back on um so i became freelance at the start of 2020 no it wasn't the start of the start of 2021 january 2021 um and you know linkedin had uh, poked me a few months back like oh it's been two years now since you started freelance illustration and i'm like oh what because <laughs> <laughs> it's just gone quick because obviously yeah things did get a bit delayed and they were the um, business wasn't my full focus after moving country mm-hmm. um, and um, French bureaucracy I can't say that word properly Bure- Bure- bureaucracy it's an O sound bureaucracy French bureaucracy is super <laughs> slow so you know when I came and um, uh, once I decided I was going to stay permanently, I popped back to the UK and I was able to apply for a Slovakian passport because my mum's Slovak. And so that meant with an EU passport, I wouldn't need a visa to live in France. I'd just you know, be able to chill as an EU citizen. And so then with that, I was able to um, um, submit my business. You know, um, submit's not quite the right word, is it? I was able to tell the French government I have a business I want to start. Um, so I did that. And then by doing that, I was able to get, um, it's called a carte vitale. Um, and that's like um, having an NHS number kind of thing. But it's also attached to national insurance. So once I had that and I had a CIRIT number, that meant that then I was like on the system of um, being someone who works and lives in France and pays taxes. And so, yeah, from there. But that process, I had to wait like six months for all of that. So that kind of put a delay on my work because I was just there um, worrying about that the whole time. <laughs> I can't blame you. Uh, I, I know quite a few people and it's it, it might feel like a bit of an old topic, but when it comes to things like, the, the wonderful case of Brexit that happened, mm. obviously, um, unfortunately happened, shall we say. Um, I knew a fair few people who went out and claimed as their dual nationalities if possible. I know mm. I tried, but um, unsuccessful. I know if you, uh, basically anyone who could wanted to get that dual passport. Um, yeah. As you mentioned um, with you, luckily being able to get one. Was the... Um, was the dual passport discussion brought up earlier or was the dual nationality passport claiming something that happened because of this imminent move to France? Yeah, it was because when I made the decision to live permanently in France, um, it was, okay, I don't want to be applying for visas every couple of months and whatnot. Um, Let's just go get a passport. (laughs) Because um, uh, the um, children of Slovak people are automatically Slovak on birth is the way that it works in Slovakia. So I just needed to have some paperwork and prove my mum's Slovakian and I got it. Oh, so, so yeah, quite, quite, quite nice. Quite good about that. Yeah, yeah. 
I just had to um, have my mum on call because, you know, the whole um, application process was in Slovak and my, oh. <laughs> my language skill in that is uh, not nearly strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have to go to, did you have to go like abroad with your mum or was it purely just over the phone and paperwork and Zoom? To no, I, I had to go to the Slovak embassy in London to do that. Oh, well, that but, um, yeah, all the paperwork in the embassy, all of that was in Slovak. <laughs> <laughs> and your mum's fluent, I'm guessing, or she had to... Yeah, yeah, she's okay, fluent, good. so okay. it was so, all good. So quite a smooth kind of transition then in terms of getting the passport. Yeah, it wasn't that bad at all. I think it came in two months or something. It was, yeah, it was pretty um, easy going. I um, Just uh, the address I gave them to send the passport to was a friend of mine who lives in the UK and then um, she mailed it out to me when it was ready <laughs> yeah. so did, did she mail it from the UK while you were living in France um, yeah when I, well I I'd only popped back for like a couple of days to visit the Slovak embassy uh, and um, yeah I'd given them a UK address because um, I couldn't get a clear answer whether they were good to send it out to me in France so I just yeah gave the UK address and then I popped back to France and my friend sent it over. Oh, probably the safest bet. Yeah. For, for those looking to move abroad, obviously, as you mentioned, and if they have the dual nationality, that is fantastic for them. Mm. Um, was there anything else? I mean, I suppose the main thing a lot of people think about is when they have to like go abroad, regardless of length of time, is um, phone and bank. Um, obviously, yeah. because you were coming down with your dual passport and moving there, how was it setting up... And as you mentioned, with the business being paid in euros, how were mm. they getting set up with um, a bank in France? I'm, a, I'm, I'm assuming fairly cut and dry if you've got the passport. Yeah, um, yeah, it was um, not too difficult once I had the dual nationality and my parents had already gone ahead and uh, gone through that process as well. So they aided me with that. Um, we went to that local bank that has an English speaking person who lives there. Um, so they were able to set me up and then once I had the bank account I could then set up with a mobile phone um, number um, and that was just all online that part they just needed you know a French bank account to connect it to um, and yeah it's um, been all good from there yeah I, I'm quite grateful I already had you know my parents had set up base so I can just apply their address to things and whatnot and it was all good you know I, I'm you know, when I first moved, I wasn't um, paying any rent or there wasn't any evidence of me, you know, contributing to a property. So actually my parents could, they wrote like um, an attestation, you know, like a, a letter being like, we declare that Jess lives at this address. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was able to set all that up. Um, it was definitely, you know, obviously very nerve wracking at the time and I was freaking out with things. And I'd also, I imported my car because um, I drove from the UK and my car was relatively new it was under three years old and since the lockdown I didn't drive at all so the mileage on it was really minimal so I figured it was in my best interest to just keep the car and import it and um, that wasn't too hard either because yeah my parents had a contact of a French woman who works with a lot of English-speaking expats and yeah it's just her job to figure things out for um, people like them and me who don't know what the heck's going on and can't read all the French documents. She just sorts it out for you. So that was brilliant. Yeah, she was able to help me import the car and 
get all that set up. Oh, that sounds like an absolute godsend. So is is most yeah. of your is is pretty much all of your life's you know all, all the fun things. Let's just say is everything based in France now for you? Yeah, everything's in France. Yeah, I, I still have my British bank account, um, but that's you know my French address is on that. Lloyd's is happy to you know know that I live in another country and still have it. Um, yeah, when I think about it, yeah, there's nothing in the UK that I'm attached to anymore. Gosh. And how, how, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, how, how, how does that kind of feel? You, I mean, I suppose you're really the first person I've kind of spoken to that is very much uprooted and placed mm. himself somewhere else. How, I mean, how, how does it feel? France is home now for you then. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. I mean, I popped back to um, London just uh, last month. And, um, I mean, it was lovely just because you can understand everything and take in everything and have full-on conversations. Um, I always laugh that, yeah, when I first arrive in the UK and I'm on the train going into central London, I can suddenly understand all the conversations around me, and that's a bit crazy. And sometimes there's a bit of an um, <laughs> overload of the senses, you know. Um, but no... It's not, it's not too sad, you know. I mean, when, when my parents first moved away from the UK into France, that was a big shock to me because obviously, at least for me, home is where my parents are, mm. you know. So um, being able to be in the same country as them now, that really helps. It, it feels still, it feels secure and safe and I'm very close with um, my partner and his family. So I feel well looked after you know whereas when I was in the UK it was like I don't have I didn't have any family in England it was just me um once my parents had moved and so that felt yeah pretty lonely and a bit scary so yeah no I, I, I feel good in France even even if I um freak out sometimes and don't understand how things work <laughs> hey to be fair if you're living in London you're probably freaking out a lot more it's <laughs> true yeah but no I feel like you know and obviously people are um sympathetic and they you can immediately see I am foreign so they're not going to get too angry at me and they're going to understand and try and help out on that point actually that's that's, that's quite an interesting thing Bit being kind of European background is it is it quite easy for people to notice that you're a foreigner or tell do you think it's something of how you carry yourself or is it, do you think well, work in your mouth first and they realise? My boyfriend says so. He jokes that because I'm so pale, but he's just as pale as me, so I don't think that completely works as a, <laughs> how people could clock me. Um, I don't know if it's uh, the way someone dresses. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder if yeah people can see there's a sort of air about me and they're like, ah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's something that people can't avoid. So I think. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what it is, but one day I'll find out exactly what is a giveaway. Um, <laughs> usually, I kind of find the one thing I have found, which I thought was quite interesting, is when you end up going to like a country that you've got some heritage in or some background in, it's easier for you to be, to be mistaken for. Mm. Um, I I had that happen to me when I went to Iceland. People thought I was Icelandic. Oh, my family's yeah. from Denmark. And, um, <laughs> But then anywhere else I go, you know, straight away people think, uh, yeah, you're you're a foreign English person. Right. Mm. So being settled, finding home, you're you're settled in. 
what's it like coming back to the UK? You mentioned you came out to London. Do you come here quite like fairly often to see friends that you still have here? And that does it feel a bit a bit alien now, or is it like returning to your old nesting grounds? Yeah, it is that kind of idea of old nesting grounds. Um, before I went last month. Wait for that loud vehicle to pass. Um, yeah, before I went last month, I hadn't been for over a year because um, I had it planned to go December 2022, but um, the plane got cancelled because it was snowing and then there also were strikes in London. So me and my mum were due to go and we could have really struggled to find, you know, a different method to get to the UK, but we were kind of like, we feel like the universe is saying no to this trip because everything was in shambles. So, um, and until then, I didn't, I hadn't made any plans, so I didn't, um, yeah, end up going to the UK again until last month, September of 2023, um, and I'm going again in November next month. So it's just, yeah, if I have things planned or friends to see, I mean, the last time I visited before last month, I went because I was invited to a wedding. Um, and it's, it's fairly easy for me to get to the UK. Um, my um, local, my city's airport flies to Stansted. So um, it's a, the journey into central London from the airport is longer than the journey from my home to the airport and then to Stansted, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I can definitely go more frequently. It's just a um, bit of a, an investment with... Um, you know, Ryanair tricks you into thinking it's cheap and then you have to add on all your luggage. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> the, the wonderful magical con that is the Ryanair. Yeah. But no, um, I, I do I do get excited when I pop back. I mean, <laughs> when I went last month, I did a Specsavers appointment and I was doing, you know, like a bunch of, um, you know, bits on the itinerary of just doing things that I know how to do that's just simple and easy in the UK. It's comfortable. Whereas if I did the same thing in France, it would be, you know, a whole thing and I'd be, it'd be really nerve-wracking for me. So, yeah, I find when I pop back to the UK and it's buying products that you miss and that you're used to. Um, yeah, there is definitely home comforts in the... Um, the uk and things feel easier and simpler <laughs> yeah I, one one question i was asking people is there's there's usually in most countries um an english aisle or an english section in their their supermarket mm -hmm. is there one there and is it a bit baffling to you i saw someone who one of my friends who lives in canada she took a photo and i think it was marmite crackers baked beans and hot dogs Hot dogs, I don't really equate with, with England too much, but a very small English section. I mean, <laughs> what is it? I mean, the Americans say it's across the pond for us, but I always equate France being across the pond. What is the English section like in, in France across the pond for you? Yeah, I'd literally just taken a photo last week. I'll um, send it to you no. now. You can have a look. <laughs> I just shared it on my Instagram. <laughs> this is my um, local supermarket, so it's not the biggest. Um like where my parents live, there's a bigger English section because there's more expats there. Um, but yeah, you do get the foreign food section and they're not nearly as um, diverse as in the UK because I feel like the, the impression I get from the French is our food is the best. So why would we um, look to 
world foods and taking in other things. I mean, I mean, I suppose they've got a point now. I'm quite, I'm quite intrigued by. I believe that's a, a glass jar of Canadian maple syrup. Yeah, so they they kind of lump North American and British together. Um, is what I found with the British section, quote unquote British section. But yeah, they'll have um, you know, um, English teas. You can see in that picture there's Thai food. Mm. Um, they all have t- I've seen Twinings and um, PG tips before. Um, and yeah, there'll be marmite. Um, you can see here there's some malt vinegar. The kind you put on your chips. We've got some mince meat, some uh, stuffing mix, yeah, like Bisto yeah. gravy, um, and yeah, Heinz beans at an extortionate <laughs> price. Because of course, it's you know imported. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably um, say that's probably the most British thing: Heinz baked beans that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, but no, they never have like the fun sweet treats. It's like yeah, you want your um gravy granules and stuffing, <laughs> which I can't say those were the aspects I was missing. <laughs> no, I mean I I never thought I'd miss it anyway. But every every time I go, like um when I was in China and I came back to England for a couple of days, the one thing I got asked to bring back for everyone was gravy. When I was over <laughs> to visit my dad in Thailand, he goes gravy. <laughs> I don't get the maybe it's one of those things you, know, you don't realize what you have until it's gone yeah no you do find that yeah it's strange even just um like if you go to a regular not one of the big superstores, you can't get things like halloumi and um you know other quote-unquote world foods you know in the uk you could get halloumi at any old store i feel like yeah I mean, um i'd probably say probably so much most english stores are just world foods i yeah, you get I'll, you have bits of everything. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give the French. I'll give the French that. I mean, I, I can't say we have, we're known for our food very well, apart from <laughs> fry ups and Sunday roasts. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, we we try, but hey, well, god damn it, we'll moan about not having a good section in the supermarket. Oh yes, but no, <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I can't be too upset. It's just sometimes you know I still like to. Um, get recipes of bbc good food and sites like that and of course they're asking for um english equivalents of things and um yeah it's trying to figure out what what the french equivalent of that is you sometimes just don't even have that product you know and it's like oh man (laughs) and what about the rest of the food experience there Were, were you much of a much of a person who like to dive into the French food or do you find the food quite easy to adapt to? It's not like you're going to get like an upset stomach, I'd imagine. But Well, that's the thing. I, I'm lactose intolerant and the French bloody love cheese. So. Ah, right. okay. <laughs> I'm really in the wrong country for that. But um, I also say I'm kind of glad I have that excuse because even before I kind of developed the intolerance as I got older, but before I wasn't really much of a cheese person anyway. Um, I liked hard cheddars, but other than that, you know, if it was a bit too creamy or stinky, I was having none of it. Mm. So at least now I have an excuse and people can go, oh, okay, Uh, fair enough. But can you imagine if I said, no, I don't like cheese, it would be absolute sacrilege. (laughs) Yeah, they'd be like, see ya. (laughs) I mean, it it makes perfect sense. The the, the one thing, as I mentioned, romanticised about France, they do love their foods. Um, a lot mm. of obviously chefs go over there, kind of a very much an artistic centre of the world with a lot of places. The one thing I always find quite interesting, I picked it up with um, someone I spoke with before, is that wonderful example of Instagram versus reality. Mm. Um, 
And obviously, you don't live in Paris, but I'm assuming you've probably visited Paris a couple of times in mm-hmm. once you've been there. How have you found the, um, again, the Instagram versus reality of it? Everyone pictures it quite beautiful, stunning, which I'm sure it is, like the Eiffel Tower and all the museums. But is it is there a hard hit of reality that people wouldn't see on social media? Well, I, I never really had a big romanticised view of Paris. You know, I, I understand it as a capital city. I kind of thought of it similar to London. And I don't, you know, London has its grubby areas too. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, when, when you have such a, um, when you have an area with so many people in one place, it's going to get a bit grubby and not be perfect. You know, it is what it is. I, I wasn't too upset or shocked, you yeah. know. Do you know about the hotline for Japanese people that go uh, to Paris? No, I don't know. <laughs> so you kind of know how um, Westerners have a big idealised, romanticised view of Japan. No. Um, there's quite a few Japanese people that have that about France um, and especially Paris. But um, what I've read, supposedly, um, there's a crisis hotline for Japanese people that come to France to visit Paris and realise it's uh, not all that it was cracked up to be and they're having like a, um, yeah, uh, existential crisis of, oh, this is rubbish. (laughs) And it's quite emotional, you know, because if it's something you've dreamed of for years and years, that reality slap in the face, it could be quite disappointing. Yeah, Uh, I mean... It's funny to think about, though. <laughs> it's a really you know, good thing. I mean, it's 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 fine as a city. <laughs> yeah, it's busy. I I mean, I can imagine. How do you go there often, or um, not really a necessity, or or a much of a drive? Yeah, I mean, I went this weekend for a party, and then I went in February for a music gig, and I went the previous time. Um, just for a little trip, I guess. Oh, I went for Christmas just to, you know, experience Paris at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the same as, um, yeah, well, I lived relatively close to London and I wouldn't go in that much. I'd go in if I had a plan to do something. Um, but, yeah, I can't say... Because, yeah, I'm not... I, I'm, I'm introverted, so I can't really stick around in a city, loud, busy place for too long, I get... Um, overstimulated with all the noises and too much going on so you know I um I hype myself up you know we're going to the city for this amount of time let's go do the thing and then I'm out of there again you know (laughs) um I couldn't live there full time definitely not no I mean I I feel the same way about places like London I'm I'm much more of a a country boy living out in uh, Hampshire so Mm. Um, yeah. nice. the, the cities are too much too much for yeah. me. but dialing it back to where you live what, um, mm-hmm. what what else can you can you get up to is is there much of a say say a hobby environment can can you go pick up any hobbies like people think of you know certain parts of france you can go snowboarding and skiing when you go to the south of france or you go to the alps mm. somewhere close to switzerland but what do you like to get up to and what what have you found is probably the easiest thing for you to do as a as a pastime yeah so Although I live in a city, it's kind of it's a, it's a nice um, um, size where it's not too busy, but it's also there's it's not like there's nothing to do. You you can we live in a good area, so we can walk to the shops and do a bit of retail therapy if we wanted to. Um, there's a lot of um, comic shops which I really like selling graphic novels and bande dessinée, um, French uh, 
graphic novels and manga and anime, which I really like. Um, I quite like that France has um, a big love of comics and manga. Um, you know, and there's um, local cinemas as well, and um, a lot of the times they'll do um, English screenings um, just with French subtitles at the bottom. So you just have to look out for um, when you're looking on the website if it says voice original, that's um, in English, if it was an English production or um, voice français, you know, if it's French. So I've been to, you know, cinema a few times. Um, funnily enough, um, uh, weekly on Wednesdays, me and my boyfriend, we meet with um, a bunch of other people to play Pokemon Go oh, no. every week. Um, and it's funny because we end up being like the youngest people there. Um, you know, you think of Pokemon Go and you'd imagine little school kids doing it, but it's all these um, people past their 50s, 60s oh, yeah. there with their phone, like hardcore trying to do all the raids with each other. So that's always a bit of fun. I try, I, my ears perk up and I try and listen to what everyone's saying during those meetings. Um, but it's funny, of course, the all the Pokemon are named different in French. Oh, oh dear. So, yeah, you got to learn those. Um like um, Squirtle is a uh, crapou, so <laughs> same ring for, for, for me. No, it's like crapple. It sounds a bit. Mm. Um, yeah, there's um, yeah, there's there's a lot a lot of events that go on, and I I, I don't take as much advantage of the things that go on as I should. Um, yeah, no, there's plenty that goes on. I mean, we get a. Um, um, every two months we'll get a magazine in the post that outlines everything that's happening in the city. You know, there's there's bunch, loads of museums, um, uh, one like a wartime themed one about porcelain. The, the city is the capital of porcelain in um, Europe, I believe. Um, so there's lots of art-related things to that. Um, there's an art centre not too far from us. So, yeah, there is plenty to do. Um, and I just don't take <laughs> as much advantage of it as I should. I'm quite a um, homebody, you know. I, I, <laughs> I'm not quite happily um, doing my illustrations at home and keeping to myself. But, no, there, there definitely is plenty to do. And um, the next uh, the two counties over um, is the Dordogne, and there's a lot of beautiful... Um, scenery and countryside there and you can do canoeing and kayaking on the river which we've done a few times and um yeah it's lovely and uh, yeah i must admit i am not taking full advantage of um, what's available but then again yeah, it's not it like you're be. really on a time limit i suppose you no that's true and again it's, it's one of those things I've, I've been guilty of it you you do get comfortable like like you mentioned i mm. do kind of fit into what you like to do as your pastime I mean, I'm saying, as same as you. I'll I'll get stuck into reading a comic book or a graphic novel instead of going out and enjoying the countryside, or mm. you, know, you know, being a slave to the to the PlayStation. But again, yeah. it's one of those things. What if, if I find if you force yourself to go out and enjoy it, because it sounds like you're in a, you know a quite a nice built up area city. Mm. Uh, it's it's much more enjoyable when it's almost that spur of the moment kind of exploring it. I think so. Yeah. And I suppose you've still got that potential to explore and find new things as well yeah definitely um and yeah maybe it is just um spontaneously going to an event and seeing what what happens really i mean 
yeah, there's a lot of um, sort of card game shops like geek shops that have events on, um, which would, you know, be fun to try out perhaps. And yeah, there's um, there's a lot of cat cafes as well. It's, it's really wonderful. There is all sorts of um, zany places to go to. <laughs> it does sound like you're, I probably like equate it, it sounds like you're living somewhere close to London compared to what I, what I live next to. Mm. I mean, it sounds like you've got quite a nice little move. Well, obviously, fantastically, having your dual nationality has really helped, and having the passport helped you get settled in. And now you're, you're this is home. This is home for you. Yeah. But uh, again, one thing that I think you, me, and um, Nick have re- really chatted and bonded over is our joint love of Japan. Yes. And <laughs> one thing I'm, re- I'm endlessly fascinated with Japan, as are you, obviously. I think, um, as you mentioned, Japan kind of romanticised. France, I think a lot of the the West in particular romanticized places like Japan. Um, mm. I'd probably say maybe over the last I don't know five to ten years, I probably it's, it's become much more of a mainstream holiday destination because people realise mm. it's not you know the ridiculously overpriced place that people assumed it would be. Um, yeah, it's, it seems more um, feasible now. Yeah, much more accessible for. I mean, I've known so many people who've started going there over the last two years in particular, but. I remember when I first went, everybody goes, oh, you're taking out the bank loan <laughs> oh. for that. Oh, bloody hell, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, same with you, you've been there several times, and I, 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 I hear through the grapevine you're planning on going again. Yeah, I'll be. so I went once to Tokyo, once to um, Kyoto, and then I'm going to Tokyo again next uh, spring with my mum. It will be my mum's first time going to Japan. Oh, exciting. Yeah, it will be. I think it'll be a big culture shock for her. I'm, <laughs> she's quite a loud person, so I'm like, right, mum, you're gonna have to really work on your uh, <laughs> general uh, vibes to fit in there. Otherwise, we're gonna get shushed and have uh, evil stares sent <laughs> our way. Yeah, yeah the, the stares there I find are quite intense. Uh, yeah, obviously, <laughs> going there, I've, I have to ask. I mean, it's always a question that comes up with people who, who move or have been abroad or travel. Has there or was there ever a discussion to move to Japan? Yeah, actually. Well, never to move, but to go on a long stay. Um, it was um, actually originally it was going to be my plan after I stayed with my parents for six months and had the nice kind of chill time and um, recuperated there. I was very much thinking the time after that, perhaps going to Japan and having a long stay there. Um and I don't regret that I didn't. I, I actually think I would have become quite lonely. <laughs> um, I don't know if it would have been good for me because, yeah, I do find it difficult to um, make make friends, you know, cut to strangers and converse. So I feel like I would have become quite isolated and lonely. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy to just be uh, going again for a trip. Uh-huh. Yeah, Constant holiday maker in Japan then. Yeah. I mean, if there was like some sort of opportunity like doing an artist residency there, I'd probably do that because then there would be a structure to that. I would be going to a place and having, you know, sort of colleagues. But, yeah, I do worry if sort of doing a, um, you know, like a, a gap year of sorts, that kind of um, that structure, I, I find that I could easily find myself becoming isolated and quite, um, yeah, depressed that way. Yeah, 
even being in the wonderful country that I love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always a catch-22 with something like that. Would you, would you say, kind of um, in that respect, that you've been there and you kind of, you kind of know the culture fairly well, um, that would it also be an issue of you coming to terms with what the, the, at times, what can be quite a harsh reality for a lot of people? I've heard quite mixed things about the idea of living in Japan for the long term. Some people tend to love it. Some people tend to, as you mentioned, they kind of get put into a bubble because it is, in, in a way, quite an introverted country with mm. the culture. Yeah, you're always yeah, referred to as the gaijin and you can't quite always uh, yeah, integrate into yeah. society. Yeah, they're always foreign. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I think just, yeah, moving to any um, country where I didn't have uh, already a little bit of a support network there. You know, obviously coming to France, I, I was not too scared because my family were here. Um, but yeah, I think going somewhere completely not knowing anyone would uh, be a bit too scary. <laughs> Although I, I do, I do have a friend who's teaching in Japan, so yeah, I would have had them to help and rely on. But no, yeah, that was that was a um, loose plan to think about staying. Maybe a three month stint. I was thinking of. Yeah. But no, I, I could always try um, three weeks or something, perhaps in the future. It would be really cool, yeah, to get some kind of opportunity to do something creative while in Japan. Yeah, I mean, what, and what a place to do it and to be creative. I mean, absolutely something. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine that. I, I'm nowhere near as talented when it comes to drawing things. So I would be I'd, I'd what people call a hack, I suppose. Um, <laughs> what about your um? What about what about your boyfriend's? Um, is is he on a similar wavelength in terms of like the, this idea of maybe a long stint in Japan, or is, again, does does he have many ambitions of? exploring around with, with you obviously he doesn't actually he um when he was young he went on quite a lot of um holidays with family that involved um, long plane journeys going to far countries um and so he's really he, he got that all out of his system early and now he just doesn't want to oh, wow. travel at all yeah not really much of a desire to do that at all and um with the career he's looking into, I don't think there'd be much um, room for that either. Ah. But yeah, <laughs> something for you. I, I, I want to bring him over to the UK and um, him have a proper stay. A proper stay over here. Is there? Yeah. Is there? I mean, again, it's quite an interesting thing. I haven't spoken to anyone who's actually moved to the UK. Would there be anything? Has he mentioned anything that he'd like to do in England or potentially? I don't know if he's even interested. And you go, nah, maybe not, maybe maybe skip Fort Park, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, he hasn't actually. Um, no, he's not too familiar with it really. He went on a trip to London as a kid. Um, but no, other than London stuff, he's not actually that familiar with the UK. He's not that familiar with his own bloody country. I've been to more places than him. Yeah, I'm talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> he just pointed at his chest like, me? Who, me? Yeah, Greg was asking if you ever mention if there's places in the UK you'd like to visit. But you, I'd say you don't know much about the UK. I went five times already. Five times you went? Yes. London and Cornwall, no? Oh, you went to Stonehenge, Devon. Oh, we went to Devon three times. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's sort of a beach holiday. Yeah. Oh. 
No, it was a school. Oh, it was a school trip? Yeah. To Devon? That's different. What did you do there? Just little seaside towns. That sounds rubbish for a school trip. All these little French kids stuck in Devon looking at boats. Yeah, I suppose we don't have much in the UK, though, for to entertain many people, apart from Stonehenge, yeah. but that, that can be done in an hour. Did you ever go on any... Um, I'll say that again. Did you ever go on any school trips to France? Yeah, we did... I think we did a couple. I did one where we did our end of year trip to Paris and we kind of hung around Paris, went to a theme park, did the Eiffel Tower mm. and mm-hmm. um, the second time was on a history trip going to the trenches and you know, all the uh, all the historical things. So yes. two very different experiences. I do want to go back. I was planning on having a long weekend there at the start of the year in Paris, but... um political climate wasn't the most inviting at the time so yeah me and the uh me and the missus are looking into potentially going to paris again because i for, i think for a lot of people as well um france it's almost like people who, who have ireland on their doorstep but won't spend the money to take the couple of hours to go to ireland mm. um I, I feel france in the same way it's it's so close but people treat it so far yeah yeah, I'd always considered it as being fairly close, and I knew there were obviously cultural differences between England and France, but I didn't think, you know, think I thought things would still work the same way. It's like even just like the way zebra crossings work here, you know, you find these little details are just different in France, and you're like, well, why is that? Like, you get crossings where even though it's a green man for the pedestrians, the cars can still drive across. So one time my boyfriend's there confidently crossing and I'm there going, because the car's approaching and he's like, it's fine. And yeah, it's just these weird little um, pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. He just said, did you know in France it's illegal to run over people? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's interesting, just those weird little tidbits of um, differences. Like, you'll get um, people still pay with checkbooks here. You'll get um, people, they get to the checkout um, and um, they'll be there getting their book out and writing a check to give to the cashier. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's weird little pieces like that that you don't think about. Is it? I mean, you mentioned earlier it's quite. It's still quite paper. Like, is, mm. is are debit cards? Like, over here, obviously, everything is almost like they're phasing out cash. Do you still do? Yeah, there, there is, yeah, debit cards and all that. But, like, even just in Paris, you can't touch contactless to use the metro. You know, you, you take that for granted in the London Underground. You can just go beep with your debit card. But in um, Paris, you have to use, like, the equivalent of an Oyster card yeah. um, or you have to buy the little paper tickets. Or you can beep with your phone if you have the app. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's all these specific things, but you couldn't get your debit card out and use contactless. I mean, um, that, that's actually one thing quite interesting. I always find it no matter where you go, there's always an app that is a must have. Are there any mm. apps on your phone, as you mentioned with the un, with the trains? Is there another app on your phone that you think people should heavily look at before coming to France? Mm, not particularly. The, the only, the, when I was in Paris just now, I used the Bonjour 
our ATP app that had the live, um, you know, travel updates. I found Google Maps was actually didn't have um, the latest metro info on it. It took me to um, a, a line that was shut oh. on Saturday, whereas the other app knew that it was shut. You know, um, but no, I actually don't have any French specific apps. Um, just for my bank, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Even you can use the train line in uh, France. I use that to buy my tickets mm. to get to Paris and out and about. Yeah. I mean, it's a godsend, really. The last thing you need. Yeah. The amount of folders I end up making when going abroad only mm. to, you know, quickly be deleted as soon as you touch back down in England. Yeah. But... No, it's, it's all straightforward. Well, for the most part, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I still find the the whole point of you moving there. That's truly, I mean, it's it's something else. Uprooting your whole life, it's doing the business, and again, kind of settling into a whole new culture. And if yeah, I, I suppose the real question: France is now. Is France going to be potentially forever? Can or do you do you think one day might be back to England, or do you think you might I, I don't know decide to being in Europe now, do you think there might be somewhere else on, on the map to move to? Or is France the one now? Yeah, I think it's France. I mean, the idea is just to s- stick around with my partner. And um, he's he's very comfortable in France. And, you know, both of our families are here. Um, so unless, you know, some career opportunities appear... It, it looks like, yeah, France is the one. I mean, yeah, we're, bo- we're both really comfortable here. Um, yeah, certainly. I, I, I'd like to do more um, exploration in Europe because, you know, the, the trains are quite well connected between the countries and it wouldn't be too hard to take a weekend visit to um, another country. And, yeah, I think there's... Um, I'd read somewhere about a pretty good... Um, train pass you can use to kind of hop around the countries so yeah should take advantage of that some of my friends did that and they i think they did it over like four or five days and they crossed about four countries and it, it sounded <laughs> great to be fair it's something mm. I'd, I'd like to do as well yeah but i'm gonna i'm gonna say jess this has been really great and i've, I've genuinely felt like i've kind of learned it's quite nice to to speak with someone and dive into a whole new country that I haven't spoken about. So this has been, so first of all, I want to say thank you for giving up your time. Uh, oh, of course, no yeah. problem. <laughs> I have a couple of last little, little questions. I call these, you know, I try to come up with a witty name, like the quick boarding pass, but I just thought that was a bit too on the nose. So <laughs> I just call these my end of the, I don't I'm not going to call it, they're just quick fire questions that I like to ask people. Um, one of them is because I'm trying to build a playlist. So uh, okay. with, with that, was there a song or is there a song that makes you think of back home that you can't that you almost constantly have in your playlist? And is there a song that you listen to that kind of encapsulates your time in France or makes you the first time you heard it be like, Yeah, this this is my jam for France? <laughs> I'm I have opened up my Spotify to have a little look because the one for France I don't remember the name of. It's a um a French song that my partner always likes to sing. <laughs> um yeah regarding that song what are you called little bugger 
Yeah, because the, the extent of my it's potential not quick fire whatsoever. No, I mean the extent of my French music is the, uh, is the is the th- is that song from Inception, and it's the um, the opera music. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, while you're while you're digging around for Spotify, then um, obviously going out and about, everyone has their little what they have to put in their pockets or in their bag while they're going out. Is there any any must haves that you need to, that you keep like in your bag or in your pockets? Or are you so ingrained into the French culture now, you're very much just a debit card, phone and keys kind of person now? No, I have a bit of everything. I mean, um, um, my boyfriend uh, studied pharmacy, so he always has like all medicine on hand oh. in case, you know, you get a poorly stomach or a headache. So I've kind of picked up that habit now as well, having a bit of everything, a um, Rennie, if you got some, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, congestion or what have you and um, tissues but <laughs> other than that not so interesting I mean I have my phone um, you've got to open some Pokemon Go <laughs> wherever you are um, no nothing French specific really oh, that would be good though if there was some kind of cool little thing I got introduced to um, yeah no nothing, nothing that interesting just your usual wallet and um keys and phone and whatnot <laughs> and in your in your time over in France did you I've got an example I when mm. I first went to Japan I went to um I've it's at Daiba City where they have the giant Gundam and ah, yes. they, they have the little well, I say little they have a massive mall there and they have a hundred yen shop which fascinated me oh yeah everything in there is so much cooler than what we have in a pound shop and basically yeah, I right. picked up this um extendable pointer for a hundred yen <laughs> And I've had this by my side nearly for um, well, about seven years now. And I th- it's the one thing from Japan that, you know, it's just fascinating for me because of course it is. Is there a little keepsake that you've picked up in France that, you know, has kind of found its way on your windowsill or on your keychain or anything? Uh, I'm, I'm very much sure there is. Just thinking now. Um... Oh, from France specifically. All I can think of at the moment is the um, little coin tokens that are used for the car wash <laughs> that just popped around the apartment. Um, no. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be something that's gonna to pop to you you're gonna you're gonna to go to like oh as soon as after this i'm gonna be like damn yeah, yeah of course it's that there is a little fridge magnet yeah oh i'll tell you what actually yeah our fridge magnets we got um there's a brand of um kind of like bird's eye where you've got your frozen goodies for like you know chicken nuggets and fish fingers and that and um, this brand, you get a little magnet for free in the in the packaging, and um, they are the magnets of the different departments of France that can then be jigsaw puzzled together onto your fridge to make the whole map of France. So that those are pretty cute, and um, yeah, then there's an illustration on each of them of the, that department's um, product speciality. Um, and that, that's the thing about France, actually. They're very much into the... Um, it's usually food and drink, obviously. Each region has something it's quite um, famous for, yeah. I suppose, yeah. 
And yeah, the, the France geography is a bit confusing because obviously you've got your towns and cities, but then there's departments and then there's like regions of departments and then something else. So yeah, we're, we're in Limoges, which is in Nouvelle-Aquitaine, which is in something else. Is it in France? It's not <laughs> France, but yeah. It's... <laughs> well, I, can't, I can't imagine looking at the appendix book of the geography lesson. <laughs> Yeah, but no, those fridge magnets are pretty cute. I'd say that. Why not? Yeah, let's go with that. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah. a certain job. And hey, I can't imagine getting a, a free magnet turned into a puzzle anywhere in England outside. Of yeah, I know. It's fun. It, it reminds me of um, when you used to get toys in your cereal. Oh, yeah, you don't get cool things like that anymore. No, we don't. We don't get anything now. Yeah, shame. <laughs> well, hey, everyone moves. So. Before we see if have we found a Spotify um, song with you? Yeah. So, so the name of the song that makes me think of France it's called "Toutes les Bonheurs du Monde." Um, it translates to like all the happiness of the world. That oh. Is what I reckon. I haven't actually translated it. That's just based on my limited French knowledge. But um, it's just a lovely, jolly song, and yeah, my boyfriend sings it, and so it makes me think of this period of my life. Oh being in france and as for um thinking about the uk there's a lot of songs um back when we both worked at the same company people were really into their playlists and there there are definitely certain songs that take me back to those days um so yeah i'd think of ones like that um (laughs) and then don't bring up any of them i mean there there is a um Ain't No Rest for the Wicked, Cagey Elephant, um, Yellow Mellow, Ocean Valley. Those really make me think of... Um, yeah, work back when I worked in England and before my freelance life oh. when I was in the UK. Yeah. I mean, although I'll, I'll slap a few of them on the playlist. I know there's a few that come to my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? There was these songs that were just that, um, that represent that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a manic playlist that, that was. Yeah. and uh, what was great was the different offices could hijack the other rooms uh, playlists as well oh, was yeah. always great. I, I remember we had, we had a dedicated <laughs> time every week for it but I'm you guys never found out but the, the, all the other teams did but hey we made our own fun yeah. so I've got, I've got just really one more question and this is really kind of diving into what would you recommend Let's just say I was popping over to France. No real destination of the um, the counties, the boroughs, the districts, the appendix, you know, everything. Where would you recommend mm. I go or anyone visit while they're popping over to France? Um, so, you know, I would recommend the area I know the best, which is where I am. Um, so, yeah, it's um, the region of... Um, uh, Nouvelle-Aquitaine, or it's a, um, the, the Limousin is um, like a limousine, but without the E. Uh, Limousin is a really nice area. If you want um, yeah, kind of more countryside quiet um, space, there are the bigger cities like Limoges, where I am, and there's also Brieve. I think it's just outside the region. But, you know, if you did want to go proper, like, in a city and um, some go shopping a bit, that's available. But, yeah, it's also just really beautiful. Um, and then there's the Dordogne, the next... Um, region over mm. and um yeah those are beautiful and i'd say they're not too too touristy 
mean, in, in the summer, you certainly can tell when people are on holiday because you see more foreign cars on the um, main roads. But um, yeah, I'd recommend those. They're lovely. Um, in um, um, Angoulême, there's a yearly um, comics festival in um, the start of the year, which um, is always fun if you're into that. It's like the biggest um, comics festival in Europe every year. Oh, nice. So that's really cool. Yeah, I, I'd recommend those. Um, but I haven't nearly explored enough of France yet. Well, I've, I've just on something you've said, I've got to ask. Since you've been there and you're settled in, this is your home, do you kind of sigh when you see English tourists or just tourists in general? I, I think everyone does, but do you like, oh, bloody tourists are coming over. I don't want to get to coffee. No, I, I can't. I can't feel that way because of myself and my family. We're, we're not much better. It's, you know, it's whatever. I can't be like that. Um, no, if anything, my ears perk up, you know, because I can instantly recognise what they're saying and I kind of am like, oh, do they need any help with anything? You know, because I know how nice that would be to just have someone come and go, right, here's what you got to do. What, mate? Let's sort you out. Right, right. Yeah, literally. It's like that. Okay. okay. Well, that, that, that's very saintly of you. <laughs> well, I haven't I haven't come across anyone that's too annoying. I'm sure oh, there might be. Give it time. It's bound to happen. And yeah. I lied with my last point. I'm going to ask you one more time. Or I'm going to ask you this one last question. Is there anywhere else in your bucket list that you want to go see that you haven't been to? I'd like to go to South Korea. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I haven't been, but that would be nice. Um, more more European countries as well. Um, yeah, I'd say, but mostly South Korea I'd really like to go to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's definitely on my list as well. My extent mm. of South Korea is stopping over there for a changeover. Like, oh, a layover. Um, yeah, a good old layover. <laughs> And I made the mistake of getting a Taco Bell instead of trying anything Korean over there. Oh, crap. Well, I was going to say, was the mistake because then you'll get on a plane afterwards and it could ruin your belly. Yeah, well, back, back then I didn't think we'd get Taco Bell in England. And I thought, oh. Ah, oh, yeah, they have them in red. Try Taco Bell. Sorts. And <laughs> anyone ever asked me, I said, the biggest waste of my time and any of my Korean money that I had. But again, <laughs> we live and learn. And next time yes. I won't. So. <laughs> Jess, I'm going to say once again, thank you so much for speaking with me and yeah, no thank problem. you for sharing all, all your knowledge and your your time over there. It does sound really amazing and gosh darn it, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in France and the rest of your week and your evening. Thanks. So thank you again. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode out every week from new guests and even those from some returning to give us an update on their travels. If you'd like to be on the show to share your story, whether it was in the past, one you're halfway through, or maybe one that's about to begin, you can drop me a message on Instagram at Tales from Travelers. I'd love to hear your story and share it with those eager to listen and learn more about traveling. So until next time, happy travels. <laughs>